Welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. We are glad you are taking advantage of this resource. If you would like to find out more information about our church or connect with us, go to cornerstonebv.org. You can also check us out on our Facebook page, at CornerstoneBV. We hope that the message today impacts your life and draws you closer in your walk with Christ. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. How are we doing this morning? Good? Hopefully you're doing well. Um, every time we sing that song, it reminds me of our Thanksgiving service. If you've ever been there for that, we always sing that song, right? Um, really thankful, as always, for our worship team who just all weekend long lead us in great worship. So uh, they've been great. Um, all of them. All of the, thank you. Yeah, all of the, I'm sure that's what they were all looking for, right? Brian is such a prideful, arrogant person. He just wants, kidding, if you don't know Brian. Exact opposite, so. Um, but <laughs> his face is only an apple right now. It's fine. <laughs> um, so I brought my barrier, okay, and you've probably seen this before. And today it represents a question that I want to uh, ask each and every one of us. And that is, what is that line or that, that barrier that God calls you to do something, right? And you're like, eh, I don't know. That's going to be hard. That's going to be out of my comfort zone, right? It's going to be awkward. That's going to be uh, some kind of suffering maybe or whatever it might be. What is it for you? Because we like to be in our comfort bubble, right? Where it's ease and it's, we know it and it's familiar. Why doesn't God call us to the comfort zone? But if, you, if anyone ever tries to teach you that, you just got to literally open your Bible almost anywhere. And that's not the case. And just do a survey. Noah, build an ark over years and years and years. I think that was probably a little weird for Noah. Abraham, leave your home and go to this place that's foreign to you. Just, just believe. It'll be fine. One of my favorites is, is Moses, right, where, where he's 80 years old, zero self-confidence, and God goes, Moses, I want you to go to the most powerful king in the world who thinks he's a god, and I want you to tell him to let my people go. Moses is like, what? And what did God say? Here's a staff. You'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Okay. Right? Barrier. You know, another one of my favorites is Jonah, who, who literally chose to be thrown into a stormy sea than do what God called him to do, go to Nineveh and preach, because they were their enemy. He hated that. He didn't want to do that. Elijah, you face off against 400 prophets of Baal and a wicked king, queen Jezebel. On and on it goes, Joseph, Jeremiah, Isaiah, everyone. Go to the New Testament. Drop your fishing nets and follow me. By the way, I have nowhere to lay my head. Right? And last week we saw, uh, uh, we saw Philip leave Samaria where everything's booming and go to a desert place and talk to this Ethiopian eunuch. Everywhere God calls you to, it's, it's, it, 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 you, you bump up against that barrier. And we do too. Right? There's a, a purpose. And I know that, that especially... Um, in America, in, in, in the West, we, we sometimes get this teaching in churches that, that God just wants you to be blessed. And God does bless you, but not in your comfort zone. We get frustrated sometimes with God because we're like, why isn't God blessing my plan for my life, right? We don't say it that way, but that's why we're frustrated. I have a plan, and God's not blessing it, and I'm frustrated because we lose sight of God blesses his plan for our lives. 
as we, we try to, to have the courage to go beyond where it's comfort, com- comfortable, that's where God blesses. That's where God equips. As, as, and that's one of the things I think God put on my heart to do this pretty long series from the spring, summer, and, and fall. It's this idea of a mission. Because I just know, for me, I get re- as, as our church has grown over the years, um, I get restless in my spirit. Like, I wasn't called to manage programs. Programs are good. Organization is very important. So don't get me wrong. But it's just not what I was called for. Right? I was called to lead. I want people to get in the fight. Right? To, to infiltrate darkness with the light of Jesus Christ in the gospel. And that's always has meant and will mean the barrier. Where is it? For you, it might be join that ministry team or uh, start doing devotions with my kids or, or, or share Christ with my coworker, whatever it might be, right? It's depending on where you are at, but it's hard, it's uncomfortable, it's awkward, it might involve suffering or pain, and I just want us to hear, as we're going to see today, the word from Jesus, just go and trust me. Let's pray before we come to our passage in Acts. Lord, we know, and I, I confess that There's nothing that I can do in this time together that will change anyone's spirit, anyone's heart, anyone's life. But I do know that your word of truth changes people. It's changed me. It's changed so many of us. Even just one degree of glory at a time. And Father, you have a purpose for us in this room, those who are joining us um, uh, online. Lord, you have a purpose You're calling us to mission in our homes, in our neighborhoods, schools, communities, workplaces, our own kids. Lord, you are calling us. So I pray that this word would be exactly what each person needs. And it might be different, but Lord, that you through your spirit would do what only you can do. So in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. All right, so we um, are rounding into Acts chapter 9. So we'll put it on the screen, but if you, do, if you did bring your Bibles, want to use one of the pew Bibles uh, in front of you, uh, you can open to Acts chapter 9. Um, and also, if you don't own a Bible, like to always try to remember to say, or you know someone who doesn't have a Bible, take one of those uh, hardback black uh, Bibles that are in front of you and, and feel free to take that as a gift from us. Okay, we, we'll restock it. We like everyone having God's word. Um, th- this whole series, again, is, it, it, we kind of find ourselves now um, w- with about three-ish chapters of what we call transition. And, and, and it began with Jesus saying to his, his very small group, right, uh, before he ascends, that I got a mission. And it's just to tell the good news, right, the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. And we've seen how Acts has played that out, right? We, we saw it boom in Jerusalem. We saw it go to Judea. Uh, those are like the suburbs of Jerusalem. And then, and then we saw a persecution, and Philip and, and others are pushed out to Samaria. Now we've seen the gospel boom there. And then even last week, we saw just a taste with the Ethiopian eunuch who was a Gentile from a civilization that was considered the edge of civilization. And he comes to Christ and he's going home to tell people, right? And, and so now these chapters are a transition from really the center of the story was Jerusalem and the apostles, specifically Peter, right? And it's going to start transitioning from that to being the ends of the earth, Gentiles, and the central figure is going to be a man named Saul or Paul. And we first got to see Saul today. He's got to meet Christ. Jesus has to do a little bit of work in Saul. 
If you remember the last we saw Saul, he was there when Stephen was stoned, and he approved. And he was now becoming the lead persecutor of the church. He wants to stomp out all of what's called the way, as we see in this this first two verses. If you were wondering, as we've left Saul for a little bit, if he's gotten a little softer, a little less zealous, no. Instead, it's gotten worse. Look what Saul, it says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And so Saul's looking at this as like, this isn't enough. Jerusalem? No, no, no. This is a week's journey to Damascus, right? Uh, we, I need to go there because there's a lot of synagogues and Jewish people there who and many of them are coming to Christ. Right? And, and what? They, they weren't called Christians then. They were called the way, right? The way after Christ or the way to life. And, and so anyone who's saying they're part of that, he wants to stomp it out. And so he gets official paperwork from the high priest to travel with a company around him to Damascus to do what he's been doing in Jerusalem. Here comes basically terrorists against people who are following Jesus. And so you see, like even that terminology, breathing threats, it's a a phrase you sometimes see connected with horses. If you've ever seen a horse race, like running, right, their nostrils flaring, the last thing you're going to do is dive out in front of that horse, right? No, you're in trouble. It's barreling down, and that's what the picture is. is He's breathing threats. He's coming, and nothing, and nobody's going to stop him. When this man is zealous and passionate, nobody but God himself, and that's what we're about to see. Verse 3. So as he's doing that, said as he's going on his way, he's approaching the city of Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So picture it. Saul's barreling down. I know we we like to picture it as a horse, but we're really not told what he was riding or what. We just don't know. What we do know is that, boom, this light, and it just knocks him flat to the ground. We're told later that he's blinded, right? And and he's just laying there. This guy wasn't going to be stopped by anyone. It's now just, And he hears this voice, which he assumes has to be from heaven. And, and, it, and it's, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So he has to be pretty confused. And anytime you're confused, you do what Saul's about to do. And you ask, what's going on here? And so he asks the question, who are you, Lord? And the voice said to him, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, I know a lot of us are familiar with the story, but you've got to p- imagine your Saul. How are you feeling right now? Pretty good? You're laying on your back or whatever, however you fell. You've come now face to face. He would later give his testimony more than one place, and he said he didn't just hear the voice, but in that, light, like in that interaction, he saw the, the, the glorified magnificence of the, the, the all-powerful King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. Not the the poor carpenter from Nazareth. Let's be clear. He needed to live that life humbly to die for our sins, right? To be an acceptable sacrifice, he needed to do that. But he is now magnificent Lord of Lords. When when Saul sees him and hears him, he's got to be thinking, I am in a lot of trouble. I'm the chief persecutor against what 
I truly believed was wrong and a lie, and it comes now that I've been actually fighting against God himself. That had to have been terrifying. And so Jesus uh, continues, and I love, he tells Paul, Saul this, but rise and enter the city in Damascus, and you'll be told what you're to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. That's my fa- so, so as he's laying there, he's got to be thinking, ah, oh, I'm in so much trouble. What does Jesus say? Go to your room. We'll talk about this later. <laughs> if you've ever been a parent or you're on the other side of it, you've heard this or said it or both. It's weird. You become a parent. You start saying the things your parents said to you, right? Which is the worst thing you can do to a kid because then they just, their imagination just goes like, oh, man, what are they going to do to me, right? I remember... Um, when I was in high school, and I, it was a wintry day, and I got in my first legit car accident. And I don't really know, don't ask why I say it that way. One that I couldn't cover up, right? It was one of those, I slipped on the roads, and I hit, nobody got hurt, but I hit, like, I slid into the, a bridge. And so the front end of my parents, only, my parents, they had one car. My dad, a lot of times, would, would walk to work because he was so close. Sometimes we had a second, but my brother, he usually smashed that up. So it was usually one car. And, and he'll tell you that's true. Uh, so so we, we had this one car, and I drove it. And um, now I, it was good enough to drive home. Um, but, man, it wasn't good. My dad was still at work. My mom was home. So I told her what happened. And she said, well, you're just going to have to wait till your father gets home. So I went up to my room. And I remember it was, it was like winter afternoon, so it was already getting dark, like one of those, right? And I'm just laying on my bed, and I'm just, my imagination's going, what my father's going to do to me when he gets home, right? And, and the feeling is not a feeling any of us wants to experience. I'll give you the end in a little bit. But I say that because time's up by a million with this Saul is going to say. We are told in the next couple of verses that I'll give you in a sec. We're told that he goes to this place, probably he was planning to stay in Damascus named Judas. And he's blind and he's laying there and can't really do it, right? And he's not eating. Or, uh, he's just, uh, he is just a mess. He's what, uh, he, he, he's, and, and Jesus is going to leave him there for three days. Like, at least me, it was like, I don't know, an hour or two, right? Like, like that's bad enough. Three days of what's going to happen to me for, because of this. Three days of being crushed into the dust of humility and repentance. Three days of, of, of coming face to face with what he's done, his shame and his sorrow and sin. That's heavy. Over the generations, some Christians have called it a dark night of the soul. And I think as we see this play out, I want to remind you that if you're in, un, undergoing right now or will, one of those dark nights of your soul, that there is no better place to be met by the warm light of the mercy of Jesus Christ. It's in the darkest places that he shines the brightest. And so as hard as those places are, don't give up hope and don't lose heart. Because Saul probably wanted to, we're told later, he prayed. He was repentant. What's gonna happen to me for three days? This is where we learn some of those details Saul rose from the ground, and although they were, they were, his eyes were open, he, he saw nothing. He's still blind. So they led him by the hand. They had to help him and, and, and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight and neither ate, ate nor drank. I, I love that, that picture. And he didn't. But, like, remember, he was the horse just a, a second ago. No one's stopping me. Now he's like, he doesn't even know where he's going. That's called humility. 
right? That God will humble us into the dust of our own repentance so he can call us to where we actually need to be in him. And so he goes into this house and and he doesn't eat or drink. Now, was this a spiritual fast? I mean, in the Old Testament, a lot of times fasting was connected to repentance. But it was also, man, he wasn't very hungry, right? He's, what is going to happen to me for three days? And so if you're watching this like a, like a, a, a movie, um, Luke, the writer, he switches scenes. Right, we're left there, now pan it out and go across the city to a, a believer who lives there named Ananias. And, and so we, we meet him in verse um, 10. It says, now there was a disciple, a Christian, right, a follower of the way at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. Don't you love that? It's like the Old Testament. It's like when, when they would call a prophet like Samuel. It took a little while because Samuel, am I hearing voices? But eventually he was like, here I am, Lord. In other words, what are you calling me to do? And Ananias is a great believer. He's like, I'm ready, Lord, baby. What, what do we got? This is awesome. I must be one of the chosen ones, right? What do I got? And, and then he's going to find out, oh, you want me to do what? You want me to do what? And so Jesus tells him in verse 11, the Lord said to him, rise, go to the street called Straight. In the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. Almost saying it like you've never heard of him. He's the number one terrorist. I was back in the early 2000s, you ever heard of Osama bin Laden? No, of course I've heard of him, right? They'd all heard of this Saul, and they were all terrified of him, right? So he's at this place, and, 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 and he's praying. And he said in verse 12, he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Cool double vision, right? He's given Saul a vision of Ananias. He's given Ananias a vision of Saul. But you've got to put, picture, put yourself in, in Ananias' shoes. Like, I'm going to do what? I'm going to go, excuse, like, that's Saul, right? So, so he does, I love this because he's human. This is what you would do. I'm not even sure Philip was human. Like, go, do this. Yes, sir, right? Like, at least Ananias is a little bit more in my camp. Like, hold up. Just have to clarify a few things here, Lord, before I do this crazy stunt you're calling me to do. So he answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind us all who call on your name. In other words, if I go there and pray, good, he gets to see. So then he'll see me enough to arrest me, right? I could die. I mean, this is not disobedience. This is just, I, it's a prayer. There's just times, it is true, where God calls you and you're like, really? I, I just want to make sure, Lord, I didn't just have like a bad pot roast last night, right? And I heard some weird things. You really want me to do that? Because that might hurt, that might be awkward, that might not work out. And, and those are good prayers. They're not quite, you're just like, this is, this is not, clear to me that this would be the right thing to do. And so Jesus in his amazing mercy doesn't, um, you know, yell at him or any, anything like that. Instead, he explains, right? He explains why. It's the, but first, he, he, I love this, but the Lord said to him, to Ananias, just go. Do it. Why? For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now that word you see, translated instrument, it's actually got more of a specific meaning. And, and, it, and it's more, and I took this from my home, please pray that I don't drop it and break it, my wife will kill me, all right? I want something a little fancy. And, and it's, it's, it means a vessel 
a chosen vessel to which that, that you would put something uh, very valuable in and carry it, okay? And so what he's saying to Ananias is this Saul is actually someone I have chosen to be my vessel. To carry what? My name. The name above all names. I want him to carry my name to the Gentiles. He'll even be sitting before kings. He'll also talk to, to, to Jewish people as well. And he will suffer. Now that's not punishment. He's not saying and he's going to suffer. Ha, ha, ha. Don't worry about it. I'll get him. All he's saying is, hey, he's going to learn that when you start, uh, stop going against me and for me, you're gonna, this man is going to come up against these barriers constantly in his life. And he's going to constantly uh, be shown how much the suffering in this life will be. But Jesus says, I will show him. What that tells us is, I'm going to be with him in that suffering for my name. And so when, when, when you think about this, Ananias is a lot like what we are. He's limited. He's human. And so when he sees uh, Saul, he sees terrorist, persecutor, enemy, a real jerk, whatever. And, and that's how we see people. Let's just be honest. Like I, I, don't, I don't always see what you could become. I see what you are. But Jesus isn't limited by that. Jesus sees not just the blind persecutor laying at, at, at Judas' house. Jesus sees the man that will be in the stocks deep in a prison at Philippi. Jesus sees a man that will be adrift at sea a day and a night. Jesus sees the, the man that will be left for dead because he was stoned outside the city of Lystra. And on and on it goes. He knows already what he has chosen him to do. Bear his name over and over again. Ananias doesn't see any of that. So Ananias has to try to see above his own kind of prejudice, which Saul deserves because of his actions. But he's got to see the potential of what Christ will do. He's got to trust what Christ will do. And so now Ananias has a, a, a decision to make. And it's beautiful obedience. He departed and he, he entered the house. Now, you, you, know, you, you know the rest of the story, so, so it's easy, but just put yourself in his shoes. He enters the house. And, and the whole time, have you ever trusted Christ in something that you're like, this is like, you're like, really? Do I, this is really what I should be doing right now? The whole way, it's like, is there a guy named Saul? Oh, yeah, he's in the back bedroom. Darn it, I was hoping that would be wrong. At least I obeyed. He left, you know. No, he's here. You want to talk to him? <laughs> yes, I do. Right? And, and, and you go, and he goes in, and this is what it says. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, on that evening where I was lying on my bed waiting for my dad to come home, I was laying there, and I, about the time when he walks, I, I, I could hear. It's amazing how your hearing improves when you're terrified, right? And I heard the door open and close, and then I heard murmuring voices, clearly my parents. And then I heard the outside door again, and I'm like, I could picture my dad going out and going like this. <sighs> right? And then a little bit later, I heard the footsteps of doom, you know, coming up the stairs. And then my door opens, and he goes... So Jamie had a little bit of an accident, huh? 
yes, there was snow, and I probably, you know, I was going into the whole thing, and he's like, hey, we all learn. I'm just glad the most important thing is nobody got hurt, and you're okay, and you've learned an important lesson. And then he left. I'm like, did I hear that right? And I'm like, my mom somehow got to him before he got here for sure. But, but that, the, the, the warm mercy that you feel in those moments, right? Like, whew, times that by a billion, what Saul has to be feeling. Laying in that dark night of his soul, right? What, what, like, just like not sure what's going to happen. He saw this weird vision of a man named Ananias he'd never met, right? And all of a sudden, he hears voices, and all of a sudden, someone enters and goes, hey, I'm Ananias. What? And then he feels the touch, the hand of this man. And then he says, Brother Saul. Brother. This man who I would have arrested a few days ago is calling me brother. The mercy of Christ, the forgiveness for the chief of sinners. The, 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 I wonder, remember he was present when Stephen got stoned and I wonder if he remembered at the time, it didn't mean anything to him, but hearing one of the last things Stephen said, forgive them. Forgive them. Who's the them? It's Saul. And God answered the prayer. Forgiven in the mercy of Jesus Christ. And he feels a rush of forgiveness. And the, the, the rest of the story, Luke tells us immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and he was baptized. And this is my favorite part. I'm not even sure why. And taking food, he was strengthened. It's good to have a good meal, right? And for some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. And so it's just like as he prays, as he believes on Christ, and, he, and he's, he, he's physically now not blind anymore. He's even more importantly, spiritually no longer blind. He's not against Christ. He's for him. All because of the magnificent mercy of Jesus Christ. And he gets up, and here's what's beautiful. He didn't just immediately run off to, to, to foreign lands and get shipwrecked and get stoned and all that. Instead, when you're in early days of your faith, it's little things, but they're big to you, right? He got up, and he looked around, and he saw all the people that just a few days ago he wanted to arrest and kill, right? And instead, he ate with them. <laughs> and how humbling that must have been. And then he got baptized. The very baptism three days ago he would have spat on. He now gets baptized, Right? And then he spends some days just listening to the very people that he, he couldn't stand and he thought were horrible. And now, teach me. Teach me. All of these things are uncomfortable. They're out of his comfort zone. But he's already learning to go past those barriers that will get far bigger as his life goes on. And so when we think of this story that we look together, I have a gift for you. I'm not usually this great Baptist pastor that gives you three points with alliteration. I'm just not good at it. So don't expect it in the future, all right? But today, we got the three M's of Christ. And the first that we could easily skip over, but we can't. It's too important to this. It's way too important to this. And that is the magnificence of Christ is shown here. Right, that, that when, when, when Saul on the road to Damascus, when he, um, when he met the Lord Jesus, it was not, that poor, humble carpenter that told some good stories, fed 5,000 people, 
It was the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the magnificence of the glorious resurrected Christ. And that's why he was fallen on his face. Right? I know we, we loved our little pictures of you know, heaven and hugging Jesus. And Don't let me take away. There's, it's inexplicable how kind Christ is. And he always will be. So I'm not taking that away from him. I'm just saying for anyone who says, when I get to heaven, I can't wait to ask Jesus. No, no, no. You are going to fall on your face before him. The Bible says when Jesus comes back, everyone, no one's going to be like, I'm going to try to defeat this guy. No. You've fallen on your face either under the weight of your judgment in sin because you've not trusted Christ or in awe at the magnificence of his mercy and grace, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Why is that so important? Especially when it comes to the, the mission he's called you to do. I truly believe that everything Saul would then do, amazing things that, that blows our mind, right? That what he would then endure, just as Jesus said, it's because it stems from that meeting on that road to Damascus. He never lost sight of the magnificence of who he served. He never lost sight. This isn't just that, that gentle guy that he's going to battle with. It is the authority of heaven that goes before him, goes with him, comes behind him. And so as he faces it off, he's like, I can do it because I got Jesus. I met him, and no one can stand against him. And so for us, you, it, it's harder because we, you know, we've all had our, our moments with Christ, but we don't have the road to Damascus, right, like Saul did. But you've got to fix your eyes on who Jesus is. You've got to remember the power and authority that he has. And so when he calls you to do something that's hard, uncomfortable, out of your comfort zone, ease, right, that, that, that I can do this because I'm not alone, that that Christ, that Lord of Lords, that King of Kings goes with me, comes behind me, and is for me. Who do I have to be afraid of? If he's for me, who can be against? The magnificence of Christ is critical. If we lose sight of it, we give up. We give up. The second M, it's all over this story, is the mercy of Christ, clearly. Mercy is when you deserve something, like I deserve to be in a lot of trouble with my dad, and it's withheld from you. Grace is when you're given something you don't, beautiful that you don't deserve. Mercy, I'll see a lot of times, I think it's well-meaning Christians, they'll put memes and they'll post things, and they'll say something like, uh, because I'm a Christian, I come before the judge and all charges are dropped. That's not true. That's actually not true at all. He would be unjust if he dropped your charges. Your charges, your, what you are guilty of, was paid in full. Jesus took the penalty for you on that cross. And so the mercy that Saul enjoys is the same mercy that we can enjoy. When we believe that Jesus, he took all of it, paid it in full, he comes after you. And so if you're here, maybe you're in your own dark night of the soul. Maybe you are at some point where one of those that mocked Christians, mocked God, you're the best uh, atheist going, right? I don't know what that even means, but you know what I mean. And, 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 maybe, and, you're just like, but so, and, and something's stirring inside of you, and you're just like, yeah, but not me. I mean, I, I was so, it wasn't like I was just on the sidelines. I was actually an enemy. I mean, I, I, I rival Saul for chief of sinners, Right? And, and, and so you need to understand, there was a, a man in the late 1800s, his name was Francis Thompson, and, and he ran from God all his life. He ended up on the streets of London addicted to opium. 
when someone came and shared the good news of Jesus Christ and everything changed. He wrote one of the most famous poems in church history. Right? It was called The Hound of Heaven. And some people were like, you compare Jesus to a hound? For him it was. I'm not going to it's a very long poem. Let's give you the first few lines because this might be you today. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind and in the midst of tears. I hid from him and under running laughter. I hid from him while I laughed. And then the poem goes on and how the hound of heaven came after him. This isn't the prodigal son where he's like, makes a step towards home. No, 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 no. This is you're running from God and he chases you down. That's what happened to Saul and maybe that's you. You need to understand Something we say here a lot, you cannot and never will out-sin the beautiful, merciful cross of Jesus Christ. You'll never out-shame uh, or out-guilt or out-any of that of what happened on that cross on your behalf. The magnificent mercy of Christ is just as much for you and me as it was for Saul. And so all you need to do is like him, is believe is be humble and repentant and believe. And maybe I can just do this, like Ananias. I can just imagine I'm extending my hand to you. Brother, sister, believe. Get baptized and follow him. That's what mercy's all about. You won't find it anywhere else but at the cross and resurrection of Christ. And that leads us to where we began, the last M, the mission. The mission of Christ. Remember, Saul was a vessel, but so a chosen instrument, but so were you. Right? God, maybe, maybe not a vessel to carry the name of Jesus to foreign lands. Maybe it is, but, but it's, it's a vessel to carry him maybe across the street or to your school or to your campus or to your kids or grandkids or, or to what, your uh, workplace, the board, wherever it is. But you're bearing the name of Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's chosen you. He doesn't need you, but he's chosen you and me on mission to do that. And it's almost always uncomfortable, isn't it? Sometimes it's awesome. You're out to eat and the waitress is like, hey, do you go to church? Tell me about that. Very rarely does the Holy Spirit tee you up on one of those. Sometimes, right? Philip and the eunuch, that's what happened. Usually, it's uncomfortable. It's hard. It's awkward. And then sometimes it doesn't go well at all. Just be thankful nobody's stoning you, all right? Because as much as good work as Saul will do, he, he met a lot of resistance too. It's always going to happen. I remember when I, and I tell the story a lot, when I came to Christ in college and, and the campus of Urbana and the University of Illinois, thousands of students, and I gave my life to Christ, but I also don't talk a lot about, I don't have a lot of time to describe it, but I received a vision. And, 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 and I can boil it down, what, what Jesus said to me. You gotta remember, I'm just a college kid. I just wanna go be a sports broadcaster, or I don't want any, I, I'm just happy that I was in Christ. Believe me, at that point, I'm like, this is awesome. But then the vision was, I have something big for you to do, but it's going to be really, really hard. I, for years, I've tried to dismiss the hard part. Can't do it. And I didn't tell anyone for a while, because I'm like, well, that's weird. Like, that seems kind of, I eventually told Heather, and she was very kind to me. I think inside, she's like, that's pretty dramatic there, Jamie. Easy. Easy, Saul. You know, you're just, she didn't say any of that. She's too, too kind. Um, but, but, it, it, as the years have gone on, I still sometimes pray and wonder, like, what is the big thing? 
and maybe it's still before us, but, but I, I also think, man, if, if it's one person that's in Christ because I've been here, that's the biggest thing I, I can imagine. If it's more than one person, you, you can take your books and your conferences, souls won to Christ, messes restored, right? And so it's been big, and it's also been hard. I have a sneaky suspicion that it's just going to get harder, and I don't like that part. I'm just going to be honest. I don't like that part, but it's how it works. It's how it's always worked in this lost, fallen world. And so I ask you, as, uh, you know, uh, you can take the best homes and the best places, the treasures in your bank account, the most success in business, right? Take it all. Like the, the great hymn writer, you know, said, you can have all this world. Remember? Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. And so I just want to pray. I just want to ask you, whatever it is he's calling you to do in this season, to simply, as Jesus said to Ananias, go. Drop the excuses. Drop, gain some courage, and go. And watch what God does in your life as you bear his name. Let's pray, because we desperately need it. Lord, I, I know in this room, not as well as you know, but I do know, there's many things that you've, you've called people to do, and not just beyond this room as well. And they're scary, and they're exciting, but they're hard and uncomfortable and awkward. And Lord, we're, we're all, me included, we're all hesitant, and we, when we leave this building, it'll be so easy to just say, that wasn't really what you were calling me to do. So I ask for your supernatural, spirit-infused courage faith and conviction for all of your people who are here to simply go and do what you're calling us to do. Lord, I don't know what that is, whether it's talk to a neighbor or a coworker, or it's pray for that person or join that ministry team, whatever it is that go on the mission field you call us to do, that we would do it. Use us, choose us to bear your name. There's no greater honor in the world but to bear the name of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, for those who have been running from you and are here listening to this, would you reveal to them, open their eyes like you did Saul, reveal to them your magnificence and your mercy. Warm their soul, Lord, with the warmth of your forgiveness. Destroy the darkness that threatens to envelop them with the light of Christ. Help them to see who you really are. So that when you do come back, they'll be amongst those who are in awe of your glory and not crushed under the weight of their sin. Let them see that you paid it in full on the cross. That you did all the hard work. They must just believe and follow you. Give us that, God. Give us a spirit of worship, not just now as we sing, but as we leave. To look around and despite all the pain and misery we see, we see you working and moving. The God of things that are possible where it seems impossible. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're able, stand with us, church, and let's worship him. He deserves it.